Wedding season plans are tricky. Who to seat next to who? Should we have a singles table? Do we keep feuding family members apart or use the wedding as an opportunity to unite them? And what about the priest? Nobody wants to sit beside the priest. So when I was seated next to an elderly priest at a friend's Catholic wedding, I quickly reached for one of the bottles of wine which had been placed on our table. But the priest's stretch was faster. He topped out my glass, then his, and leaned in towards me and in a hushed tone said, You know, I can predict with almost complete accuracy which marriages will last and which won't. Then he gave me an I'm serious nod as he sat back in his seat, stretched his legs out, and took a long slurp of wine. This was the best opening line any dinner companion had ever given me. We didn't bother with the small talk of how I knew the bride and groom or where he was from. Instead, he said, See that woman over there wearing the sleeveless fur coat, seated beside the man in the light blue pinstriped suit? I nodded. The woman looked like she'd been chewing wasps. Married them last year. I gave them 16 months, he said, passing me the basket of bread, as if it was popcorn and we were watching a movie. How can you be so sure they'll break up? I asked. The priest freely admitted that what he was about to tell me wasn't grounded in any type of scientific evidence, but was based on almost 60 years of experience of marrying couples and all that goes with it, such as pre-marriage courses, rehearsals, even marriage counseling. Such experience had revealed the four main indicators against which anyone could measure the likelihood of a marriage surviving. The first red flag, he said, is if the bride turns up late more than once for a pre-marriage meeting, rehearsals, or especially for the wedding. And upon her arrival, her focus is on how everything appears to the guests, how good or not the wedding singer is, how perfect or not the flowers are, is her dress wowing everyone, and she'll always find fault with something. Thereafter, she'll lay the blame with others who almost ruined her day. These women have unrealistic expectations, not only of the day, but of the marriage, and their lateness shows that they think their time is more important than everyone else's, he says. I suggested it might be a little unfair to lay all the blame at the door of high-maintenance women with poor timekeeping. Surely men equally contribute to the demise of marriages. He agreed they do, but ultimately, if a woman's needs and expectations are not being met in a marriage, then it will end. And with this type of woman, her expectations are so high that no one could ever meet them. They're rooted in fairy tales, not reality. I wonder how you'd rate my marriage, I asked jokingly, since my husband wasn't even in the room. He's football obsessed and had gone in search of a TV in the hotel's bar so he could catch the end of the game. You've self-awareness, and you don't try to control your husband, he responds with a smile. I ask him how he knew that, since my husband wasn't present. And he took a deep breath and says, In the church, your husband spent most of my ceremony listening to something on his phone through a Bluetooth earpiece, and from his facial expressions, I guessed it was the football match. I blushed. And you didn't try and stop him. You cared more about his happiness than what others would think, he added. The truth was, I hadn't noticed. But I didn't say that, because I'll take the praise anywhere I can get it. The priest continued, moving on to the second indicator of the soon-to-be doomed marriage. Pinstripe suit man over there might look like an adult, but he's not, at least not emotionally, the priest says. In his head, he's still captain of the high school team. At the weekend, he hangs out with these old-school friends. His focus, just like in high school, is on being popular with his buddies. He's failed to transition to the partnership that is his marriage. His friends are still his priority. Emotionally, he needs their constant approval, he says. This, he says, is quicksand for a relationship. It creates distance, silence, and ultimately deep resentment. This is when affairs start. 
someone else will give this wife emotional attention. I was relieved to see my husband walking across the ballroom towards us. He sat down at the table and said a quick hello, and then took out his phone from his pocket and began to read sports analysis from the match he'd just watched. I felt the priest watching us, rating us, so I didn't react. I smiled and didn't snap at my husband, which is what I might have done. Instead, I turned to the priest and began to introduce my husband, but at the same time, my husband's phone rang, and he gestured to us, just a moment. I signed audibly, and then he was gone. The truth is, he always answers his phone when it rings, and it's never just a moment. One call will lead to another and another, and an hour passes. Yet, when he's at work and I ring him, he rarely answers. I distracted myself by asking the priest, what's the third trait of a marriage in trouble? Sustained struggle, he said. What do you mean? Such as a terminally ill parent, financial strain, mental illness, in-laws interference, he explained. I'm taking a red flag, I announced with a laugh. A couple of months before our wedding, my father was diagnosed with cancer. It was terminal. I took leave from my job as a researcher, returned to my rural childhood home on a farm to spend time with him. I pretended to him that he wasn't dying because I didn't want to scare him, and he pretended to me that he wasn't dying because he didn't want to scare me. I heard him tell the hospice nurse that he'd worked out exactly what he wanted to say at my wedding, and he was waiting for my brother to arrive so he could tell him, and then my brother would deliver it on the day. But by the time my brother arrived, my father was no longer lucid. My father passed away that day, a week before our wedding, which we postponed. He and I never had a close relationship, and I didn't know how to get close to him before the chance was lost forever. In fact, we were so distant, I didn't even call him dad. Instead, I called him by his first name, Joe, and I had done so since I was a child. When I got older, he would say to me, you are the only woman in the world who can call me dad, but still, I didn't. Somehow that word just didn't fit in my mouth. On some unconscious level, I wanted him to earn the title. In my mind, he hadn't. He was rarely home, usually only at weekends, and when he was, he was on the phone with work, or working in his office, or having a work meeting at the house. And then you married someone just like your dad, the priest said. I was dumbstruck. He was right. How had I not noticed? Do you know what the fourth red flag is for couples in trouble? I shrugged my shoulders because if I'd spoken, my voice might have cracked. Contempt, he said. Surely a couple getting married don't have contempt for one another, I replied. Contempt can come clothed as a scornful look, a roll of the eyes, a sigh. That's my marriage doomed, so, I replied with fun in my voice, though that wasn't how I felt. It might not be doomed, the priest added. There is also one thing any couple can do to save their relationship. I moved my chair closer. It's simple. You need to let it go, he said. I don't understand exactly. If a flower is dying, would you try and fix it by trying to turn it into a tree, he asked. No, of course not. I'd water it and make sure it had enough light. Yes, you'd change its environment. So why do you think you can change your husband into someone else? It's as daft as trying to change a flower into a tree. It can't be done. You can only change your perception, and that changes everything. Okay, I replied weakly. Close your eyes, he said. I closed them. Now imagine the best possible version of your relationship. Watch it as if it's a movie. Can you see it? I nodded. That's who you both really are. I opened my eyes and gave him a look which said, No, we're not. Close your eyes again, he said. I obeyed. 
Now start the movie once more. He paused for a few beats. Now let go of the part of you that doesn't believe it. Just let it go. Don't judge, scold, question, let go of the battle. Surrender. Take a deep breath, and as you exhale, and let it go. And again. I opened my eyes, conscious that other people at our table were watching us. What will I get from this process? I asked. You won't get anything, but you will lose resentment, contempt, anger, hurt, and discontent, which will change the environment of your relationship, and then it will flourish. His advice saved my marriage. We've now been together almost 20 years and are stronger today than when we first got married.